Hello, you lovely lot. We're the Embers Collective, a storytelling and music group based in London, bringing you myths and folklore from around the world. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcasts. If you enjoy what you hear, follow the Embers Collective on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, where you can find out about our wonderful live events and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and keep up to date with our stories. So come warm yourself by the fire, get comfortable and enjoy. was training on the Isle of Skye with a witch named Skatak. While he was there, he had a love affair with a warrior woman named Aoife. After his training was over, Cucullan made ready to return to his home. Before he left, he visited Aoife one last time, who told him that she was bearing his child and that it was a boy. Cucullin explained that he could not stay, but that she should name the child Conla. He took a red gold ring from his own finger for her to give to him, told her that when the boy was big enough for the ring to fit good and tight, that he was to come to Ireland in search of him. And so Cucullin went home to his land, and the very first thing he did was to find Ema, his betrothed, and marry her. When word came back to Aoife of Cucullin's wedding, she was enraged. She realised all the time that she had been with him, he had had another woman in his heart, that he must have known her before he came to Skatak's island, and that he had returned to make this woman his wife with the sweat of Aoife still upon his back. The boy was born and brought up as a warrior. Aoife sent him to train with Skatak, and he proved to be as adept and skillful a pupil as his father was before him. Years passed. Conla grew both courageous and strong, and the day came when he found that his father's ring fit perfectly around his thumb. Aoife licked her finger and held it to the sky, feeling the wind rolling in from the great sea. It was time for Conla to go to Ireland. Before he left, she put three gyasa upon him, three sacred prohibitions. She told him he was never to give way to any man. He was never to give his name first if any man asked. And he was never to back down from a fight, even if he knew it would result in his own death. And with these three gyasa, Aoife sent the boy off across the ocean to meet his father. The young boy stepped onto Balia Beach near Dundeglin in the province of Ulster. On that particular day, the King of Ulster, Conor McNassa, and all his wise men were out on the beach taking part in a ceremony for the Feast of Samhain. They saw him approaching from far off as he was carrying out a number of daring feats which caught their attention. The feats themselves looked strangely familiar to the men. 
For example, they watched as he would take out birds in the air by stunning them with his sling, gather each of them into his boat, and revive them before throwing them back into the air. The men were impressed and they watched as the young lad stepped out of his boat, fully armed and dressed like a warrior. Conor Magnassa sent a messenger down to meet the boy and find out if he was friend or foe. You have arrived on the land of Conor Magnassa. He was impressed with your feats. What is your name, boy? And tell me, are you friend or foe? Tell me your name first, said the boy, and I will give you mine. The messenger was shocked. Young boy, you are a guest in this land and the king has asked for your name. You are bound by the laws of the land to give us your name first. But no matter what reason the messenger gave, either law or politeness, the young boy held firm. Like I said, he responded to the messenger, give me your name first and I will give you mine. The messenger could see he wasn't going to get anywhere. Be warned, he told the young lad. This type of attitude here will land you in trouble. And so the messenger turned his horse around and rode back to the king. He explained to him that the young lad was refusing to give his name. King Conor McNassa was perplexed. Who did this young boy think he was? Well, let us see if we can take his name by force. Send down Conal Kiernock. He sent down Conal Kiernock, one of the bravest warriors in Ulster, who was always ready for a fight. He rode down to the young lad and he asked him his name. But again, the boy refused. You've insulted the King of Ulster, but we do not have to fight, said Conal Kiernock. If you give way to me and tell me your name, then this can all be over and you may be on your way. Don't be a hero. We are the warriors of the Red Branch and we are the fiercest in all of Ireland, led by Cucullin himself. You will lose if you fight us, boy. But again, the young lad refused to give his name and refused to give way to Conal Kiernock. The two men drew their swords and the noblemen of Ulster stood along the beach and watched as they began to fight. Their swords clashed and the men fought fiercely and in the beginning it looked like they were evenly matched. Conal Kiernock was one of the greatest warriors in Ulster and the young lad held his own against him. Conor McNassa watched and he was sure that Conal Kiernock would get the upper hand at any moment. But he and his men watched in shock as the young boy began to beat Conal Kiernock up and down the sand, smashing his sword harder and harder as Conal Kiernock stumbled backwards, tripped and fell hard on the sand. The men watched as the young boy kicked Conal Kiernock's sword away from him, disarming him as he lay splayed out on the wet beach. The honour and pride of Conal Kiernock was wounded to be defeated by this young boy in front of all the wise men of Ulster. Both impressed and fearful, King Conor McNassa called for Cúchulainn, Ireland's greatest warrior. Cúchulainn's wife, Emer, begged him not to go down to the young boy. She felt something deep in her heart. She had seen the way the young boy had fought and it looked worryingly familiar. But Cúchulainn argued that he was honour-bound to protect the people of Ulster. If this young lad could disarm Conal Kiernock, then Cúchulainn was Ulster's last defence. And as Cucullin stepped out on the beach, he was determined to show this young lad what the men of Ulster were made of. 
Cucullin approached the mysterious warrior who stood defiantly before him. Your name, boy. The young man said nothing. Cucullin rage building, drew his sword. One last chance, boy. What is your name? The warrior said nothing, and staying true to his gasser, grimly unsheathed his own blade and waited, ready. Cucullin felt the eyes of Ulster upon him as this boy mocked him, challenged him. Cucullin levelled his blade and, howling his war cry, charged at the warrior on the beach, intending to drive him into the sand. However, he nimbly stepped to one side and parried Cucullin's sword with a casual flick of his wrist. Cucullin brought his sword back in a high arc, intending to cut through his opponent's neck but found his foe too quick, and Cucullin only just managed to deflect a wipe aimed for his chest. They stepped away from each other, circling. Cucullin realised he had underestimated his opponent's skill. What is your name? Still, the warrior would not reply. And with a howl, Cucullin launched himself into a ferocious attack. Ema watched from the hill with the Lords of Ulster. She could sense the worry of the men with her. Who was this warrior that could match the Hound of Ulster? Ema ignored their mutterings. The unease she felt about this warrior came stronger with each thrust of the sword. She knew deep down that whatever the outcome, this was not a battle either man would win. Ema looked down on the sea below. She could hear the howls and grunts of exertion, the clashing of swords and the crashing of waves. Every jab, cut and slice was borne to her on a wind which whipped the hilltop, providing a symphony for the grim dance of death below. Cucullin knew he was matched. Every move he tried was countered and followed by an equally deadly blow. Finally, he saw his chance and brought his blade round hard to cleave into his opponent's side, only to see he had the same idea. The swords thundered into one another and with a crack like lightning, shot from their wielders' hands into the water, the shock causing the men to stagger backwards. Cucullin saw the warrior reach for the spear on his back. He did the same and pulled forth the Gaibald, the immortal spear that proved fatal wherever it struck. The hero light shone like the sun from Cucullin as the bloodlust took him. He saw the warrior pause and raise an empty hand, about to shout, taking his chance. Cucullin launched his spear and watched as the guy bulk hit his mark. And in that moment, the earth breathed. Time stood still, suspended. For Cucullin had seen the gold thumb ring on the raised hand of the warrior and realised that the warrior he faced was his son. His elation turned to horror as the guy bulb tore into the boy's chest, flinging him backwards into the waves. Cucullin rushed forward, a strangled cry in his throat as he cradled his son's head to his chest and stroked the hair from his face and kissed his cheeks. What is your name? He whispered, I am Conla, son of the mighty Cucullin. Cucullin looked to the men on the cliffs and screamed that this was his son and called them down to meet him. They did, and one by one paid respects to Conla. Cucullin 
feeling the boy's pain kissed him tenderly on the forehead, as if to say goodnight. And taking his knife, ran it across his son's throat to end his suffering, and then fell to his knees, eyes closed, body shaking. Seeing the rage in Cucullan, King Conor McNassar realized that they would all be slain in his grief-stricken madness. He commanded the druids to cast a spell on him so that for three days he would see the ocean as enemy that needed to be fought. Sure enough, when Cucullan opened his eyes, blood red with rage, he saw a white army charging towards him. Howling, he grabbed his sword and began to do battle with the waves. Hacking, thrusting, cutting and stabbing at each of the never-ending enemy which charged at him one after the other, screaming his son's name in defiance, standing strong as the sea crashed into him, blinded by salt and tears and pain. From the cliffs, Ema watched as for three days and nights her love fought the sea, tears rolling down her cheeks as she saw the broken man before her, feeling the darkness that descended upon him and upon the land and in her breast. She knew that a part of Cucullin was dead now. For what man could ever truly be alive after killing his son? The Death of Conan is taken from the Ulster Cycle and adapted by the Embers Collective. It was performed by Hannah Mianese, Lonan Jenkins and Sam Ricks. Music was composed and performed by Tim Carp and Mishka Adams. It was recorded live by Gabor Hallas at Bally Studios. This has been an Embers Collective production.